Good afternoon and welcome to this forum with the six candidates for the 2017 Asheville City Council election. I'm Matt Bush, the news director for Blue Ridge Public Radio, and today's forum is a partnership between BPR and the Asheville Citizen Times, and it's taking place here at BPR's studios. This forum will focus on issues around discrimination. Now, our format for today's forum is as follows. Each candidate will have a two-minute opening statement. That will be followed by questions where each candidate will have 90 seconds to respond. Our forum will conclude with one-minute closing statements. Now, the questions that will be asked today were formulated by the BPR and Citizen Times news teams, and I'd like to thank Jeremy Loeb, Helen Chickering, Matt Piken, Barbara Sayer, Katie Waddington, Casey Blake, and Joel Burgess for their expertise in crafting today's questions. Our candidates today in alphabetical order are Vijay Kapoor, Rich Lee, Kim Roney, Shanika Smith, Dee Williams, and Gwen Whistler. Voters will elect three of these candidates to Asheville City Council. The general election is on November 7th, and early voting is underway in the city, and it runs until November 4th. Now on to our forum, starting with opening statements. And we asked each candidate, as part of their opening statement, to focus on this question. What is the most effective thing city government can do to fight discrimination in all its forms? And we'll start on my right with Dee Williams. Thank you, and I'm pleased to be here today my name is, as you said, Dee Williams, and I'm a native of Asheville. All of my adult life, what I've done is uh, become educated and brought that education back to Asheville, uh, having been born somebody uh, of color and female here in Asheville. Uh, I immediately saw the economic impacts of discrimination firsthand. And so it has been my job uh, with whatever training and education that I've had to ameliorate and try to educate other folks about what can be done to ameliorate the effects of discrimination. Let me also uh, say that power plus discrimination equals racism. In other words, uh, it one has the ability to impact uh, huge swaths of the population's existence, and I've seen it uh, here in Asheville. So what I've done, and I've probably been the most effective uh, practitioner here in Western North Carolina, having gotten the first African-American a contract with the city of Asheville, uh, ha- having uh, done the first uh, SBA guarantee and direct loans for African-Americans here in Western North Carolina, and a plethora of other things. What The only answer to discrimination, of course, is accurate policy assessment, uh, a racial equity impact assessments as far as policymaking is concerned. A lot of the things that we've seen done has resulted in the law of intended consequences. So I bring my expertise on resolving those issues. Thank you. Kim Roney. I'm a piano teacher and service industry worker, so I've seen a lot of y'all at the Moth Light during the Moth Storytelling Slam. I'm a founding member of 103.3 Asheville FM, where I started the AFM News Hour and have attended all but two of the city council meetings. So I watched as our city council missed opportunities to address meaningfully the racial bias and traffic stops, as well as a missed opportunity to sign a non-discriminate ordinance around housing the way that Greensboro has done. And I think those are two meaningful things we can do immediately to address discrimination in our community. Richly. Hi, I'm Rich Lee. I'm a 20-year WNC resident. I lived away for a few years in the Peace Corps. Um, now I work as a, a financial advisor specializing in green investments. My work brings me across a lot of budgets and um, the financial situations of workers and retirees around the city. I've also been involved as a neighborhood organizer. 
Um, as for discrimination, I think we need to look for legal avenues to protect residents from discrimination in the wake of HB2 and HB142. We need to change our police policy to eliminate disparities um, in policing by race and to tie any city contract or incentive to commitments on fair treatment and anti-discrimination. Vijay Kapoor. Right. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Vijay Kapoor. I'm one of the six remaining candidates here for Asheville City Council. Uh, I grew up here in Asheville. Uh, my father was born in India, and my mother was born in Poland, and I was I was born in Chicago. Um, I live down in South Asheville. I'm a former attorney, uh, and I do budget analysis for cities across the country. Um, the three areas that, that I have really been uh, emphasizing during my campaign uh, for City Council is the need for City Council to focus on the needs of its residents and its neighborhoods, uh, to permit only rational and responsible development, uh, and also to diversify our local economy so that we can raise wages. Um, one of the other things that I've been really, uh, that's been of great concern to me is the need to ensure that all residents go to sleep each night feeling safe, fed, healthy, and valued. And that last part, valued, I think is, is very uh, important to what we're talking about here today about discrimination. Um, uh, in terms of what I think the city can do, some of the single most things is just to do what Gwen Whistler has called for quite a bit, which is to enact a human relations commission uh, that will deal with discrimination issues across the city. Um, there is a blue ribbon task force at the moment right now who is who is looking and giving advice as to what that may look like. But I think that is critically important. Um, as a child of immigrants, uh, my folks came here in the 1960s with little more than a dream. Um, this country has been very good to us. Um, we have been very lucky. Uh, we had excellent opportunities here. And I want to make sure that those who come after me have those same type of opportunities. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, I want them to be able to live in a world uh, where they are judged by the merits of their abilities, um, not by the colors of their skin, and certainly not the colors of the skin of their uh, their father. Um, so I appreciate it. I'd ask for your vote. Again, my name is Vijay Kapoor. Gwen Whistler. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Look, we all agree on the issues facing Asheville. Growth, an economy overly dependent on tourism, and continued unacceptable inequity. I've spent the last almost four years working on these big issues, and I want to continue to serve. My vision is a safe, vibrant, healthy, and accessible Asheville. I have a track record of engaging with and listening to the community. I understand the available resources and the potential obstacles. I bring creativity and passion to solving these problems. I'm proud of the work I've done during my tenure, but I'd like to highlight a few things. I supported the 2036 vision, which highlights equity as the number one priority. I voted for an equity and inclusion manager, and I'm championing the creation of the Human Relations Committee. All city decisions need to be made through a lens of equity. We must be a role model in our community. I want the city to lead the way. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to use my experience to continue to serve and improve Asheville. I'm not going to be hitting the ground running. I'm already in this marathon. I ask for your vote. Thank you. And Shanika Smith. Hello, my name is Shanika Smith. I'm a fourth generation native of Asheville. Um, my work in Asheville has really been around um, social justice advocacy and also economic justice through my work at Green Opportunities. Um, I started an organization called Date My City to really challenge Asheville around its conversation with diversity. Um, we have a very economically segregated community, but that also falls on um, racial segregation as well. Um, I'm very glad to be a part of this political process 
process during a time where Asheville City Council in 2016 adopted equity as its leading goal. And following that, we have um, just hired uh, Miss Kimberly Archie, who is going to be working as our equity and inclusion manager. I look forward to working directly with her and bringing some political power and will to her work, as well as working along with community members whom I, whom I am very um, acquainted with um, through the Blue Ribbon Committee. And that's working with the Human Relations Committee and their goals to eradicate um, racism, not only systemically, but on community levels. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll switch the order up on answering for each question here so everybody can get to go first once today. Our first question, last year's bond referendum set aside millions of dollars to improve the availability of affordable housing in the city. Now, what do you believe is the best way to address issues of affordability, not just in housing, in the city's marginalized communities? And we'll start with Richley. Okay, so um, I supported the bond as most Asheville voters did, and I am really eager to see this process played out because for a first time really since the 1950s or 60s, city of Asheville has prop- um, the opportunity to develop a affordable housing project on its own land under its own control. People may know that I've been a critic of the current city affordable housing policy of trying to pay incentives or tax breaks to a um, to a major developer or somebody working on a big project and the hope that they get some uh, affordable housing units back. This is going to be somewhere in the direction of South, of South Charlotte Street or South Slope. A real it has the opportunity to be a real city controlled project, and I'm I'm excited to see that playing out. To answer the rest of your question, we need to look at affordability as more than just housing prices. There's that famous formula that you shouldn't pay more than a third of your income on housing, but there's one that's a little less known that you shouldn't pay more than a half of your income on housing and transportation combined. With good transit options, bus options, and ways of getting around the city like sidewalks and greenways and bike paths, we have the opportunity to help people be able to afford to live here, even though obviously a lot of the housing stock in the city is already pretty expensive. VJ Kapoor. The issue of affordability, I think, has to be addressed comprehensively, uh, and it's impacting folks, you know, across uh, across the city. Uh, I think there's a couple of ways that that we really need to be to be focused on doing that as a, as a city. Um, I think again, we have to we have to be realistic as well too to understand that there there are limited options that the city may have, um, but at the same time, that's not an excuse to not to not to actually get involved in them. Um, one of the things that I think that we want to be focused on is trying to again reduce the cost of living to the extent we can for folks across the city. Um, that could be done, again, as it relates to transit, uh, as it relates to housing. Uh, and and also, I think what we need to focus on, too, is the need to, again, to, to, to try and raise the wages in the community here. Um, historically, Asheville has been very dependent upon real estate and tourism for its local economy. Um, that, that may work in the short term, but in the long term, that's going to particularly when we see a recession, that's going to really impact folks. Um, my idea is to really focus on the needs of, excuse me, is to focus on on, on bringing uh, entrepreneurs here, those folks who could start their companies, as well as trying to uh, impact uh, the, uh, the the climate change and to try and bring green jobs here as well. We're known as Beer City. There's no reason we can't be known as Climate City as well. Gwen Whistler. Thank you. So I've talked to people who are directly negatively impacted by the lack of affordability, people who've had to move out of the city because they couldn't afford to be here. And like Vijay says, it's a combination of it's 
uh, lower costs and higher wages. So there's two two pieces to this. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the the wage perspective. Uh, since I've been on city council, all of the city employees are paid a living wage. I think again that is that makes the city be a role model for the rest of the city. Now Mission Health has also adopted that policy and and I think that value that that we want all jobs to be a living wage or higher is something that we need to embed in the culture of Asheville and I and the city government can be that role model. And another thing when since I've been on city council, we've changed the rules around what employers are actually going to get incentives to only include employers that pay every every person work, that works for them a living wage rather than having the average be a living wage so that some might be lower than a living wage. So that's one of the changes that I've made. Thank you. Shanika Smith. Um, Asheville has become economically segregated community where it's obviously it's obvious who is thriving and who is struggling to survive. Um, and wealth inequality is pervasive around the world, but it falls hardest on communities of color. Um, and this was deliberately um, an action of the federal government where we saw that the history of violence, intimidation tactics and even discrimination was um, codified in federal law. Um, therefore, inequality has to be over turn the same way um, through policy improvements on the federal, state, and local level. So um, I know that you access to go beyond housing affordability, but when we think about the history of um, white wealth in communities around our nation, we have to start with um, housing, housing policies. That's where um, wealth really began um, and began to generate in communities. So I would say that our housing trust fund is a place that we can really make tangible moves. Now, we already have um, an amount set that has been growing over time, but I believe that with the affordable housing bond, we can add that to focus on um, subsidies and also home ownership because home ownership has been the base of acquiring wealth. And I think it would give um, a lot of advancement to people of color in the city as we're struggling not only to safeguard the historic um, and identity of our community, but also the cultural identity of our community. Dee Williams. Okay, so I'm the only one to actually be working on a community land trust for affordable housing, and that's part of the bond referendum. Uh, we are working on that in the Southside community using an algorithm uh, that talks about gentrification prevention and uh, leaving people in place. Let me also say that you cannot make policy, policy without data. Asheville has the widest achievement gap for minorities in the state. We also had the largest acquisition of black-owned land in the state with over 600 acres. So what we'd like to do is to take some city-owned land that was acquired during that and use it in the community land trust. Let me also say that I am the chairman of the NAACP Criminal Justice Committee. It was referred to about traffic stop data. We're the first group that I put together that started looking at the traffic stop data and making the Asheville Police Department accountable and reportable on that data, and we continue to work with them on uh, unnecessary or unusual stop searches and uses of force against African Americans in Asheville. Let me also say that as far as contracting is concerned, we're the only entity I am that's working on because the city uh, only had $262.50 with African American contractors in 2015. So I basically have the strongest track record of uh, economic parity and uh, as far as discrimination is concerned in Asheville. And Kim Rooney. 
I think we can all recognize that we're dealing with national issues around housing and wages, and our, his, our country has a long history of discrimination based on race. So the things that I want to see us do, I'm very thankful for Dee and the people in our community that have worked on the land trust. I think we can use that in collaboration with limited equity cooperative ownership for the city to set an example of what that will look like successfully for future developers to follow suit. I want to see us be really careful with the bonds after what we saw with us going over budget with the rad tip project. And we do have a lot of challenges and limitations as city, but I want to see us do everything that we can around wages, which has already been brought up in the, at this table. It's time for us to really focus on local and independent businesses that are paying living and housing wage jobs. There are folks in this community that are doing that. And if we can provide incentives to, for them, not only to start new businesses, but to grow their businesses, that will be a huge change for our city. And it'll protect the work that we're already doing well. And I have advocated for fair free transit since the very beginning of my campaign. It is at the intersection of affordability, access, equity, and environmental concerns. It connects it connects businesses with their employees and their customers, and it'll have a positive impact on parking and traffic as icing on the cake. Okay. And to start the next question, we'll start with Gwen Whistler in the next question, which is, the North Carolina General Assembly wields extensive power over local governments. Now, for Asheville, that has put local officials in conflict with the state over several issues in recent years. That includes LGBT rights and the future of the Vance Monument in Pack Square. How will you work with or around, if need be, state lawmakers who do not share your views? Uh, I have obviously experienced the... Uh long arm of Raleigh. And uh, at this point in the current environment, I think it's appropriate that we continue to try to work with Raleigh. Uh, the mayor has done a good job of creating good relationships. I've gone down to Raleigh and, and lobbied. Uh, but frankly, in the current environment, I'm not as positive as I can be about what Raleigh will do for us. So I think we have to continue to be creative and and work with creative in trying to um, find the the ways to get a, get around or work with the current laws. And I also think it's important that we continue to work with other cities, with groups like the League of Municipalities, so that uh, if decisions are being made so that we can work through some of these laws, that we're not putting a target on Asheville's back solely, that we're working with other municipalities to get some changes in the laws. Shanika Smith. I agree with Gwen. I think we have to work collaboratively um, throughout the state in order to um, really push Raleigh to um, really take into consideration how a lot of the, the statutes that are coming down from Raleigh right now are really diluting the political power. And um, on the back end of that, it is really um, promoting voter apathy. Um, during this voting um, election, we, we saw that this has been a historic election for our community where we have the potential of having great representation. Presentation um, on our council. Um, and a lot of things are coming from Raleigh around diluting the political power right now. Um, in addition to the questions or in addition to what you pose in your question, I believe that um, there are times where we have to fight and we, we're going to have to work together as a city along with our city attorney to um, determine when we fight. I think we did a, did a very good job in saving our water. Now we need to do um, um, equal job at saving um, the integrity of our community. Dee Williams. Okay, thank you. Uh, one of the things that I see is that, especially with HB 142, 
Uh, It may be intractable as far as uh, the law is concerned, but sometimes one has to have political courage. In fact, I believe that there are some things worth going to court for, and that's one thing that we need to enact an ordinance and then just go to court and fight. So having said that, and then there are some things that I would mitigate using uh, economic uh, rationale. I think the General Assembly, most people can relate to money, and they're business people as well. Um, Diplomacy, you never give up. But other things, uh, when we talk about diluting our political power, we have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that we have things that unite us more than separate us. Now, there are some of us, political power is a, is a term uh, that is nebulous because there is, from data, uh, as exemplified in the city of Asheville, even though we've had voting rights, there are still centers where there is very little political power. So I think that we need to uh, have some commonality of terms as far as uh, what is pertinent and what's not. But there are some things worth fighting for, and then there are some situations that can be mitigated with economic analysis and, and, and agreement. Okay. Kim Rooney. I want to see courageous leadership as brave as the people of Asheville move to adopt a human um, human rights ordinance for housing the way that Greensboro has done. And this pre- specifically prevents discrimination based on race, religion, national origin, gender, gender identity and expression, sexual orientation, um, handy capability and handicapped folks, as well as folks' family status. Um, House Bill 142 will moonlight in 2020. But it is far from a meaningful repeal of the notorious House Bill 2, which cost our state a lot of money. And in addition to that, which can help to build the the coalition of other cities in North Carolina, and it's something that we can do, I want to see us advocate for local control of monuments. I know other candidates have brought that up as well. And this is a time for me as an ally, if I'm elected to represent, to make the space for folks with their lived experience to drive the conversation around policy and change. And we also have an opportunity to support grassroots efforts through our strategic partnership funds. And by golly, we can vote every year, especially in 2018, in our local elections, in our state elections, every single time. That's what I'm doing. Rich Lee. Um, as Kim mentioned earlier, I think we missed a real critical opportunity to stand with Charlotte on their non-discrimination ordinance in the run-up to HB2. Now we're going to have to find strategic ways to continue to press for human rights and um, and fairness, things that we're on the side of history with in in the wake of this. I think the city is looking for its leadership to be a champion on these fronts, and they're not going to accept – well, we can't do it, our hands are tied as an answer. I want to see us push forward in on any kind of measure that protects our immigrant population from profiling and police action that erodes trust when we need it most. I want to see us um, put the strongest LGBTQ protections that we can in place. And I don't want to lead the city into losing battles for pure righteousness sake, but I want to be strategic and smart and persistent and not give up on those fronts. Good. And B.J. Kapoor. Uh, so I approach, excuse me, I, I approach this question um, given my background. I'm a former attorney, uh, and, and I've worked a lot actually in state government. And one of my jobs was to deal with um, uh, agencies uh, across. Uh, this was in a different state. This was in Pennsylvania, working with the governor's office uh, to try and get things done. And very often I was told, "Well, you're not allowed to do it. Um, uh, it's illegal. We don't have the authority to do it." Um, and and I, I'm approaching those similar issues, I think, with respect to, to the state legislature. Um, I'm not running for city attorney. 
I'm not asking for that responsibility or that role. Uh, but I think there is a fair amount that we can do uh, and and decide whether when to push back and, uh, and and when to see what we might be able to do behind the scenes. I think Gwen had it exactly right in terms of in terms of the approach. Um, I think we need to work collaboratively with other cities uh, to look at specific issues uh, because our own sovereignty is an important thing. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the district, the districting bill that was shoved down uh, Asheville's throat. I mean, the ability for us to decide who our own representatives are um, is critically important. Uh, and that's something that, that I would be willing to fight back on. Um, also, in terms of just the, the, the overall aspect, I think what we can do is see what we what abilities we have under the law now. Um, I think issues of procurement and looking in the procurement area is a way to uh, to to uh, to push and, and see what influence we may be able to have. Um, but it's going to be a case-by-case basis. Um, I don't want us to spend uh, legal fees uh, unnecessarily, uh, but I think there's a way we can push back. For our next question, we'll start with Shanika Smith. The state law also prevents local governments from raising the minimum wage in their cities. Many of you have already talked about wages in your earlier statements. A report released last week by the Asheville Area Chamber of Commerce shows the average wage per job in this region is more than $17,000 less than the national average. Now, what would you do and what do you believe city government can do to improve wages and address this disparity that shows itself in many forms of inequity in Asheville? Um, Well, this speaks to me uh, um, about the quality of life in in Asheville. And again, um, Asheville is an economically segregated community, but putting equity at the center of economic development would allow larger segments of our community to realize the wealth potential and to support family sustainability. Um, I plan to look more closely at the local supply chain and encourage startups and business business expansion to create a more robust local entrepreneurial um, ecosystem. Um, I would also like to look at maybe um, property tax reliefs as well. I, I believe that um, the problems that we're having right now, um, they're, they're at the intersection of a high cost of living as well as stagnant wages. But with um, a tax relief program, I believe that that would help our elderly, um, minority homeowners, disabled veterans, and um, longtime residents in, in, in this community. Um, the program's aim would be really to um, safeguard those who have lived in this city for a long time and made lifelong investments here, but are actually being pushed out because of we're so dependent on our tourist economy. D. Williams. Okay, so I'm the only candidate up here who's ever negotiated a living wage, and we did that with Mission Health Systems, which impacted over 10,000 employees in nine counties. And in addition, we also negotiated with Mission to remove the box that asked uh, folks if they've ever been committed a felony or been in prison. So that was almost, uh, that was comparable, I think, to removing an economic barrier. The other thing when you talk about uh, wages is that a lot of folks of color have not even are not even involved in the uh, workforce. Uh, so that has to be addressed. Uh, I believe in creating jobs, and we are tasked with that chore. We're the only candidate right now who is actively involved in job creation and contract procurement uh, with the RAD tip with uh, major construction companies and other anchor employers. So I look forward to pursuing that and also uh, look forward to writing RFPs that will deal with that in a legal manner for the city of Asheville. Kim Roney. I am very familiar with working as an artist-musician family, two or three jobs at any one time because of stagnant, unreliable wages in a tourist-based economy. 
And I think that we have an opportunity to amplify our incentives for local independent businesses so that we can help to reduce their costs on the back end and transfer that to cost in wages for their employees. There's already a huge movement being um, exercised by Just Economics to advocate for living wage employers, and that list is available. I'm really proud to patron those businesses, but I've noticed that the employees that work in those businesses stay there longer. They are able to put more back into the local economy, and I'm really proud that that list is growing. I also think we have an opportunity to work with nonprofits like Just Economics or Green Opportunities or through our strategic partnership funds to address some of the issue of the connection between the failures that we have in our school system around folks that are being discriminated against to um, address that in a meaningful way so we can grow our local employee base from, from within, building community from within, and an inclusive community would do that more than just in lip service. Okay. Rich Lee. The first thing I would do is to change the city's economic development focus to growing businesses that already have a presence in the area and can provide a career track that will take a resident from graduation to retirement. Um, a business like a hotel that has a high ratio of low-level employees to management doesn't fit that bill. Um, a business that brings in technical or engineering jobs that don't match our skill sets doesn't either. Unfortunately, the city has a perverse incentive incentive to overlook the skills gap. If we bring in a factory and they they move in all of their engineers and high-level workers from out of the city, it raises the overall wages and economic condition of the city, but it doesn't help any of us who already live here. So we need to match skills to jobs and and vice versa when we're looking at what kind of companies we want to grow here and the and the employee base that we have here. Um, I, I think there are ways to do that. We've got some good models of it on the ground, but small companies in Asheville absolutely are our economic future, and I'm going to do everything I can to seek those ones out that are ready to expand and help them grow. Okay. Vijay Kapoor. My father was the plant manager of the Westinghouse plant, which is now Eaton down in South Asheville. Uh, and uh, one of the benefits of that back in the 1980s for me was being on being the bat boy on the company softball team. Uh, we played teams like Black & Decker, like Square D. Um, a lot of that manufacturing base is eroded. Uh, and I'm not here to tell you that it, it's going to be coming back. So the need, I think, for a lot of those good middle-class jobs is up to us to figure out how do we reinvent our local economy here. Um, I think there's a couple of things that we need to do. I am very concerned, as I said earlier, that we may be too heavily reliant on real estate and tourism. And those uh, areas get hit disproportionately hard when there is an economic recession. Um, a couple of things that I think we should really be really focused on, number one, is trying to bring entrepreneurs here to the city of Asheville. I'm a small business owner. I started my own business, and I was able to move down here um, because of that. Um, we've got a lot of folks who, who come and visit Asheville. Uh, a lot of them uh, have their own companies. Uh, I work in the Jackson Building downtown. A lot of the folks who are in my building, uh, most of their clients are actually not even around here. So I think I'd love to see an opportunity for us to, to, to make Asheville be seen as, as an entrepreneurial place, folks start their own companies. The other thing, as I said earlier, too, is to try and focus on jobs that address climate change and green jobs. We're doing a great job, I think, right now with the Collider downtown with the opportunity to build on that uh, and become really nationally known, again, not just as Beer City, but Climate City as well. Okay. And Gwen Whistler. Thank you. Well, I want this city to be inclusive and economically diverse. Uh, I want to be able to live around people who are servicing uh, servicing the city, you know, the teachers, the firefighters, the police officers. Uh, 
as I said at the beginning, one of the big problems the city of Asheville has is we, we're overly dependent on the tourism industry. So we have to diversify that economy, encourage growth of other of other industries, but also inc- make sure that uh, there's a that you can get the first job, but you can also get the second job. So that, like, if it's technology, to be able to create a a real grassroots, and so that there's a real community there, and and then the other thing is, is we need to change the culture in Asheville, that we expect that our employers will be paying a living wage. So I urge residents to know what employers there are that pay a living wage and to prioritize working with those employers. I think that's going to be a way to role model it. Okay. Next question, we'll start with Kim Roney. How do you build and fund a public transit system in the city that does not leave out any neighborhoods or jobs in Asheville? Well, nine years ago, my husband and I donated our car to charity in an effort to reduce our dependency on fossil fuel. So we walk, bike, and use the bus. And through that, I've learned a great deal about what our wants are, but also what our needs are for some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Serving on the city's multimodal transportation commission and the transit committee, I'm very eager for the transit master plan, which is taking place right now, to look at ways that we can improve our system. And we're going to be looking at fare free transit, whether or not having one single hub downtown is the best, most efficient way to run the system. Um, hopefully, we can look at what Asheville regional transit would look like in coordination with the county. And I know that this is within our capacity to do, it was within our budgetary means to do, and it will have a humongous impact on, as I've mentioned before, connecting businesses with their employees and customers, and it addresses affordability, access, equity, and environmental concerns. But we are going to have to fund it, and we are going to have to provide our work on private-public partnerships for us to really realize that. Okay. Rich Lee. Um, I was also a dedicated transit rider for four years um, as a, a younger person in Asheville. I live on a bus line and ride the bus once or twice a week now. Um, the transit master plan that Kim mentioned is surely going to be of some use, but we should also be clear that we know what some of the problems are with our current transit system, and we've known for some time. Um, we do not have frequent enough service on some routes to make it useful for workers to get there, where if you miss your bus, you're late to your shift by 30 minutes to an hour. Um, we've got uh, buses that run inconsistently and a low on-time ratio right now. Uh, we don't have service out into the county where a lot of people live, but more and more jobs are, are coming into existence as well. And so fixing those problems isn't to me a a matter of waiting for a consultant to tell us in a year or two that they exist, but starting to get to work right now by by increasing, continuing to increase hours, bringing all routes up to Sunday service, um, and beginning to increase frequency on, um, on the main routes. Those are my biggest priorities. I I think when we talk about transit and we talk about expanding service and and getting our transit system to a place where uh, where I think we would all like it, um, the issue of funding is paramount. Um, It just is. It's not cheap to run a transit system. I've I've seen that across the country. Um, I do support a dedicated funding stream to transit. Um, I think there's really no other way to to increase um, the transit uh, levels of service, Um, just just to be absolutely frank with you on that. Um, I think other things that, that could work 
work uh, here as well is to think about um, you know where our jobs are being created and where we're locating them. Obviously, the closer they are together, uh, the easier it is for folks to get around. I'm a big proponent of making sure people can get around without using their car. I live in a part of the city where that's nearly impossible. Uh, I used to be able to ride my bike to work in a place where I used to live. Uh, I can't do that now. Um, and, and I think that that's um, that's unfortunate uh, because there's been a lot of talk this uh, this this uh, this city council candidate cycle, excuse me, campaign cycle about traffic. And we see it all over the city. And it's very important, I think, that we uh, we try and get people out of their out of their cars. <clears throat> the other thing short of that, I think it's also worth taking a look at our current bus routes now and our transit routes now to ask the question is, are they the right ones? Are they in the right place? Are they actually meeting the meeting the needs there? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, to be frank with you. But I think that's something we should be looking at as well. Gwen Whistler. So transit provides a productive a way for people to have a productive life in an affordable manner, and I'm I'm been very supportive of transit uh, during my tenure. I have voted for an increase of more than three million dollars to transit, and and I've voted on for fare free days several times. I think we really need a community dialogue about about this idea of a dedicated funding source. As a matter of fact, tomorrow the Finance Committee is meeting for and having that on our agenda for the first time to try to figure that out. And then I think this idea of what to prioritize with the transit system. Is it more, is it more routes? Is it more frequency? Is it more buses? Uh, is it fare free? That, you know, it's all about prioritization and I'd like, we need to continue this community dialogue about it. Shanika Smith. Um, I mean, I'm employed at Green Opportunities, and we're a workforce development organization, and um, we train individuals in our community um, that are underemployed or unemployed. So once they develop a skill base around um, different trades um, that are comparable to the industries in Asheville, one of the highest barriers to employment becomes transportation along with child care. So um, we're, we're seeing that this is um, a deliberate, we need to be very intentional about expediating some ideas around um, our transit system. And I think it, it, it becomes... Um, our moral responsibility. So if we really talk about the moral responsibility that we have as a community to employ um, tactics or different lifestyles that would really undergird um, Asheville as a whole, then I think that we can really start to promote ridership programs. Um, and once we increase our ridership at the time, I believe that we will attract um private um, public private partnerships as well as um, federal grants to support whatever ideas that we come up with um, the county and the city together. Okay. Dee Williams. Okay, so I'm the only person here who's uh, ever been employed or contracted as a highway uh, contractor with the DOT and the U.S. DOT. Let me just say that we need a multimodal system with a solely dedicated source of funding. Uh, the buses don't work. They're not on time. They're not reliable. And people who have cars don't want to deal with them. So we're going to have to talk about ad adequate land use planning, number one, which we have not talked about from a regional perspective because multimodal is to be connected. It is exactly that. The other thing is that we're going to have to look at the way we fund transit. Everything's siloed. We need to stop that uh, because there are other mechanisms like greenways, bike paths, trails that need to also be incorporated. And to just talk about a transit system, and I remember when it was fare free, I think there was a loss of like 130000 I might have had a couple of hot dog carts 
uh, downtown, and we even lost business. So it kind of like didn't work because of some other mitigating factors. But I want to say that we have to plan to pay for what we want. And until we're able to think outside silos and talk about solely dedicated funding sources, we aren't going to have a good transit system. Thank you. You guys have been so good on time, we're going to be able to add a few questions to the forum today. So I thank you all for that. Uh, and this question will start with VJ Kapoor. As a city council member, how would you work with the police department on issues of profiling and discrimination? Uh, this has been a huge issue over the past couple of months uh, for, for for the entire city. Um, in my in my in my background, what I do is uh, I've also done some pension mediation across the country, where I worked with with public safety employees in, in various cities. And one of the things that I did was reached out to a few of them, reached out to a few police officers to ask, well, you know, what, what's your perspective on this? You know, what, what's happened in your city where 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 we've had similar issues? Um, and what they told me um, was that there was a there is an absolute need right now for the police department and police officers, not just at the command staff, but really at the at the at at, at the patrol level. Uh, status is to go out and get to know people in the community. They view that as absolutely critical. Um, one of the unfortunate things, or I guess one of the difficulties we have as candidates here, at least some of us who aren't on city council, is we haven't had the opportunity to sit down with the police chief. That's um, one of the things I would really like to be able to do uh, to get to get that perspective as well. But I think we've been hearing it loud and clear from a lot of the communities uh, around Asheville um, that there is a problem right now, uh, and that there is distrust between those communities and the police department. Um, and we've got to see that as, as an entire city, and we've got to see that as a, as a problem, something that we need to tackle comprehensively. Okay. Gwen Whistler. So everyone needs to be, needs to feel safe uh, when interacting with the police department. It's something that, uh, it's, it's a basic right, it's a necessity, and and we need, I need to demand that, and we need to demand that from the Asheville Police Department. Uh the the police department has been increasing training uh, and 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 really focusing on community policing, which is what VJ just referred to. And it's the idea that you have officers interacting with the people in the community, not just around an incident, but just every day, so that so that the residents feel comfortable contacting a police officer when there is an issue or when they think there's going to be an issue or just giving a heads up, that it's a real knowledge about the actual community. And the other thing that the Asheville Police Department has done is uh, formed a new use of force policy, which is actually being, it's a role model for the nation right now. And so we just need to incorporate that and keep working on trust between the police department and our citizens. Shanika Smith. Um, our police chief uh, came on the scene in 2015, um, and she was on um, the scene and in, employed here as a law enforcement leader um, maybe a year when there was a fatal shooting in our community that really um, was an uprising almost. And the question um, was led not only in Asheville, but across our nation around race and police brutality. Um, and because of the community and a lot of grassroots organizations really coming together and pressuring our, our chief of police as well as um, city council from that, um, we do have an uh, excessive use of force policy and de-escalation and training that was um, based on the, the pressure and from, from the community 
community on our city council members. Um, and this training um, came way by way of Vera Institute. I think that we're in the 21st century and race is still an issue along with the political climate. Race has entered into this um, century and it takes very courageous leaders to um, actually use the power that they have to institute the type of transformative policing um, reforms and statutes that the community can live with um, until we get to the point that we can have more community self-governance. Okay. D. Williams. Okay, so I want to thank everybody for referencing the work that I started. I am chair of the NAACP Criminal Justice Reform Committee, and I was enjoined by the national office of the NAACP, as well as the local one, to start such an undertaking with the Asheville Police Department. Now, this these atrocities, these uh, uh, killings and stops, uses of force are pre preeminate all over the country. But one thing that we wanted to do was to have some impact. So what I did was put together a coalition with Code for America, and then we evolved down to PRC applications and also with the Southern Coalition of Social Justice. This was the first time that we actually used the North Carolina Department of Justice database to show unusual stops, searches, and uses of force against African Americans by the Asheville Police Department. And anybody can search that database right now. Uh, we've also gotten an agreement from the chief that they will provide us with uh, the locations where all of these traffic stops are occurring. So you see we're at the forefront of this issue, too. Kim Roney. I've attended a handful of the Coffee with a Cop meetings and spoken with several of our officers who have the same concerns a lot of us do around wages and housing, and I am really concerned that's leading to the retention problems that we're having. But the question is, what are we going to do as a city council member to work with the police chief? And the city council um, hires the city manager, the city attorney, and the city clerk. Um, so it's going to be up to us to not only to adopt policy, but to pass resolutions for the city as a whole that will help to guide staff in the direction to making some of these meaningful changes. I think we also have an opportunity to coordinate grassroots efforts around addressing homelessness and opioid addiction. And I will echo um, the work of Dee Williams with the NAACP, Code for Asheville, and the Southern Coalition of social justice, the work that they have offered us, all the data that we need to adopt policies that will immediately address racial bias. And I want to echo what Shanika Smith said as well, that race is very much still an issue. It has been an issue in our country since the very beginning. And um, given the nature of our country with the leadership of the 45th president of the United States, we have a lot of work to do at a local level. Okay. Richly. Um, I'll echo some of the others here who said that the highest priority of the city should be to eliminate racial disparity in policing. And um, to me, that starts with the recommendations of the SGSJ that the NAACP brought in. Um, the department has acknowledged that disparity exists and that black drivers are much more likely to be stopped and searched than white drivers, even though um, searches of white drivers are more likely to turn something up. Um, the department says part of the disparity is due to geographic and economic patterns, concentrations of poverty and public health in and around public housing. Um, but that can't be the end of the discussion or, or, or how we write it off. 
to the extent that the city can help economically integrate neighborhoods that are lower income and have um, these clusters of crimes in them, we need to be involved in that. And the city does control the power of the purse. I think we need to raise starting wages for police officers so that they can afford to live in the city. And I think we need to tie those increases to um, higher requirements for hiring and higher training requirements. We want the best police force and police officers that we can afford to have here. And with our particular economic conditions in the city, um, I'm afraid we're not going to be able to to get or retain those. Okay, we'll go with our last question. We'll hold them to 60 seconds on, on this answer. 60 seconds on this answer. And we will start with – who went first last time? One of these. You did. Sorry, Dee will go first this question. Sorry. Um, what do you think the future of the Confederate monuments in Pack Square should be, including the Vance Monument? Okay, so basically I take this tact, and a lot of black people in the community do, uh, who really are not asked most of the time. Uh, one of the things that concern us less is symbolism. We live in abject poverty and exclusion in this community, and a lot of us are suffering. We're more concerned with having uh, some economic investment than we are taken by symbolism. Uh, that's really what they are at some point. I know a lot of white activists feel better uh, if they're brought up as something that needs to be removed, but we're more uh, into tangible. So I would say to you that the black community doesn't really care about that. They only care about economics and doing better. Okay. Kim Roney. As an elected official and an ally, it's important for our council, and I hope to be one of those people, to invite person of color leadership to come to the table and provide solutions through their lived experience. I definitely support the removal of the Confederate monuments in our city, but I think it's also important for us to address institutional and systemic racism when we're looking at policies around our schools and our housing and our jobs and our environmental policy. Richly. Um, I think ultimately they'll be um, renamed or removed. Um, we don't need a reminder to anybody of racial strife and racial pain prioritized in the public sphere. And so um, that's the direction I think we're going to end up after a community conversation. I'll echo D, though, that the will not address the real racial situation of Asheville, which is that black residents of Asheville are shrinking in real numbers. They're more likely to live in public housing. They're the bottom end of the educational achievement gap. They are less likely to own businesses. And there's a gigantic wage gap, as we see with the um, the state of black Asheville reports. So we can't allow ourselves a feel-good action of this debate around the monuments and not address the real economic issues that are affecting um, our, our black friends and neighbors. Okay. Vijay Kapoor. Uh, I, I absolutely don't disagree that we, we ought to be looking at, at, at you know equity issues throughout. But you asked a very direct question, Matt, and I'm going to I'm going to answer it directly. Um, there, there are three von- monuments downtown. There's an obelisk outside the courthouse. Uh, there is something that I refer to as the Robert E. Lee Rock. There's a rock in front of the Vance Memorial, and there's a Vance Memorial itself. Um, you know, I've looked at these issues. I've taken a position on this. I think the small obelisk in front of the courthouse, the Buncombe County Courthouse, should, should be relocated to a museum or a battlefield. I think the Robert E. Lee rock should be removed, and I think the Vance Monument should be rededicated, not torn down. Gwen Whistler. Thank you. Uh, Asheville, I want Asheville to be a welcoming city, not just our people welcoming, but also all the symbols throughout the city. I've heard uh, 
I've heard opinions that run the gamut on what should be done with all the various memorials. And I do think that there's, you know, ones that are like, that are blatantly wrong that need to go away immediately and then others that um, aren't as clear cut. But until such time as the city actually has control to do that, I think we have to continue this conversation and try to figure out what that, what the fate of all the various monuments are. Okay. And Shanika Smith. We're living in a time where the conversation that's leading um, a lot of national dialogue is racial reconciliation. And when we um, come to conversations about addressing race, it happens systemically and it also happens on a community level. And we think about what happens on a community level. We think about the culture. We think about behaviors. And I think that um, Confederate monuments are a part of the cultural piece of it. Um, And I think if we think about the systemic change that we, we need, in our communities, we talk about equity, but when we talk about community level changes that needs to happen, we, we have to talk about really making tangible changes in our community where people feel um, welcome and people feel safe and people kind of um, have a higher level of trust in our government to make the larger systemic changes. So I think a nice... Um, gift to the community at large as we're talking about reconciliation would be the removal of the Vance Monument and the replacement of that monument on Vance birthplace. Well, now we go to closing statements. You each have 60 seconds to deliver your closing statement for this forum. And we will start with Vijay Kapoor. Great. Um, thank you, Matt. Thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. Um, with all that's that's going on at the national and state level, um, local governments are being forced to do more with less. Uh, the issues that we're facing here in Asheville are getting more difficult, not easier. Uh, and that's why this is a critical election for Asheville's future. We need experienced elected officials who can bring people together to do the hard work that needs to be done. Uh, I've worked in and around local governments my entire professional career and currently serve as a budget consultant for cities across the country. I've advocated for residents and neighbors even before deciding to run for public office. I think I have that combination of experience and advocacy that we need right now in Asheville, and I'm asking for residents to vote for me, V.J. Kapoor, for Asheville City Council during early voting, which is happening now, or on Election Day, which is November 7th. Thank you. Gwen Whistler. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This has been great conversation, and we clearly have a lot of work to do. Uh, I and. Throughout my tenure, I have been a big advocate for making our city more inclusive, more welcoming through city policy. So I ask to continue that work. I want to use my experience to continue to serve and improve Asheville. So I ask for the residents' vote. Shanika Smith. In the last past years in Asheville, we've seen a lot of momentum growing around social movements and grassroots Asheville really demanding that we have a more participatory democracy. I think because the dialogue has changed and the community is moving us more towards action and accountability to the community, um, accountability of city officials to the community, I believe that this is a very pivotal time for us to have um, a better delegation of representation on the city level. So I would echo um, what I've been saying for a very long time, and that is this question to Asheville, where do we go from here, community or chaos? I believe that my representation on city council, I bring um, the voice of the community to um, council level, and I'm so glad to be serving 
working with um, you all on this level. And I hope to be elected to represent um, the many voices of Asheville on, on city council to bring this holistic feeling of healing and to um, really change the um, conversation around policy recommendations. D. Williams. Yes, thank you for this opportunity. I just want to say that we are at, at an inflection point. And we've had, uh, as far as discrimination, black elected officials on our council since 1968. From the data, we know that the situation has gotten protractedly worse, not better. Uh, one of the things that we need are people who are have engaged in making things better. Don't watch what we say or listen to what we say. Watch what we've done. Look at what we do. We can't do more than what we're doing now. Though there are some of us who had ample opportunity, and the data speaks for itself. I ask for your vote, for experience, for skill, and financial aptitude. Vote D. Williams. Kim Roney. Ash was at a critical turning point with many of its people struggling to make ends meet, and we need a courageous council to meaningfully address affordability, access, racial equity, and environmental justice. I know that we need folks who have the compassion to address difficult issues that our city is wrestling with around homestays, green space, and um, land use policy, but we can do that by building coalitions, not only through the community efforts that are happening at grassroots level, but with our city council and our county commission and with other cities across the state. And that's why I'm asking for folks to be about it being better with me, which means many hands make light work. And one of the ways that people can participate with us in this work is it cannot be done by any one candidate by themselves is to show up to the polls in a great mass number on Tuesday, November 7th. My email or my email is kimroneyforashville.com at gmail.com, but my website is kimroneyforashville.com. And thank you for your consideration and for your vote. Richly. I want to close with something that has been on my mind a lot lately, and um, that's the, situ the situation with the, the county and the last county manager. And to me, that highlights that this role has shifted from a, a mere citizen advisory board to an activist and professionalized check on city actions. We all have good intentions up here. Uh, we're all ready to push for the things that we've talked about. I offer that I have the financial experience to be a good steward of our tax dollars. I have the experience arguing the city into changing directions. I have a known commitment to accountability and transparency, and I have the heart to bring that all to bear for you. My website is richworks4.me, and if you'll make me one of your votes on November 7th, I'll be working for you because I already have been. Well, I thank you all for coming in today and giving us your time to answer our questions. I want to thank the BPR and Asheville Citizen Times news teams for coming up with questions. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Remember, early voting goes through November 4th, and the general election is Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Matt Bush, and again, thanks for listening.